Research that resonates. Schweitzer has not been wrong on any of his years and years of reporting on the Bidens. Investigations that matter. If your last name wasn't Biden, do you think you would have been asked to be on the board of Burisma? I don't know. I don't know. Probably not. But that's, you know, I, I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that, uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden. The only entities, the only people that would report on this, and Peter Schweitzer, who deserves a Medal of Freedom, in my view, this is The Drill Down with Peter Schweitzer. Hi, this is Peter Schweitzer, and welcome to The Drill Down, where we relentlessly expose cronyism, corruption, and the abuse of power in Washington, D.C. Our co-pilot, as always, is Eric Eggers, who's the vice president here at the Government Accountability Institute and author of the book, Fraud, uh, which is going to be particularly germane because today we are going to talk about the electoral system and fraud in the electoral system. Yes, we are in the crazy season again, which are elections across the country. We're going through primaries. We've got a national election coming up in November. Uh, and it always gets a little bit crazy. Um, Eric, I was doing a little bit of research on uh, previous election outcomes uh, and found some interesting facts. In 2018, there was a uh, election for the House of Delegates in Virginia that ended in a tie. So they settled it by drawing names out of a ceramic bowl. In 2014, there was a city council race in Florida. It was decided when they drew sealed envelopes to determine who the winner was. In 2006, there was a Democratic primary uh, for the House. Uh, it was settled by a coin, a coin toss. Uh, and back in the year 2000, I found this particularly interesting. You remember the, the race for presidents uh, in New Mexico between Al Gore and George W. Bush was settled by just 366 votes. If that actually had been a tie, the state law required that the election be decided by a game of chance, such as a single hand of poker. So the craziness that we are experiencing and likely to experience in the future uh, is nothing new in the country. It's nothing new. You're absolutely right. Nor, I have to say, is your latent narcissism, you know, because here I am. I'm the one that wrote the book on election fraud. And yet you are doing this research and kind of going through all these stories. You don't see me here. Like, hey, here's a new thing I found about Hunter Biden. No, I let that be I'm your lane. I try to, to glorify you. I'm just trying to light things <laughs> up here. But you are, in fact, right. No. Uh, we are fortunate to have you because you literally wrote a, wrote a book on election fraud, came out in 2018. And that book actually predicted a lot of the problems that we ended up having in 2020 and continue uh, to happen today. So we're going to talk about this, dissect it from the beginning to the end. Give me your thoughts on, there's so much discussion, so much debate. What do you think are the three main areas that we should be concerned about as we're looking at primary elections coming up here in Florida? We just had them in Pennsylvania. There are more coming around the country and this national election that we're going to have in November. No, it's a, it's a great point. And actually, the examples that you found are wonderful because what they do underscore is that while elections are incredibly serious matters, we still treat them like these anachronistic kind of old timey folksy oh we'll just play a game of cards <laughs> right. and that'll determine the next person's in charge of the nuclear codes right right, right? i mean then what it underscores is the fact that we remain essentially a third world country when it comes to our election mm. like technology and even laws that's right? a, that's a, i mean that's a very strong statement so is the problem 
that there's not enough national control or is national control a problem? I mean, that, you know, that, that kind of scares me in a way if you're going to centralize power. But when you say it's a third world country, expand on that a little bit. What do you mean? Well, so there's a controversy uh, in Pennsylvania right now. Okay. And, this, and this gets back to like the, the big picture takeaway if you're listening to this podcast is I think we're in trouble in November. Because I think we're going to have lots of races that get contested and then people will claim uh, that there are election integrity issues, possible right. voter fraud issues, as, by the way, the Republican nominee for governor in Arizona recently did before then changing her tune after she took the lead. And now that, it's, that it's was a classic, me. by the way, we need, we need to expand on this. So this is um, a lake is yeah. a candidate. She won the Republican primary election night. Explain again in detail what she did. She so, was running for the primary. She was behind initially. And behind initially. Winning. And then like at one of her rallies said, look, I'm concerned. I think we've got some possible allegations of voter fraud here. Both her and the Republican candidate for secretary of state, who would be the election of the top election official in Arizona, right. have previously said, I'm absolutely not going to concede right. if uh, I think that there's any hint of impropriety. Well, guess what, guys? This is, when this gets back to the problem, there's going to be hints of impropriety. Right. We've got problems right. throughout the system. Right. And so you've got people like her in Arizona. And then, by the way, then the results came in. She took the lead and now all of a sudden she became certified and i guess the allegations she's not are complaining concerned. anymore she's no longer well she's still got some you know concerns but now right. she's talking about ron DeSantis' well, energy levels yeah, so well, and here and here's and here's the problem by the way the the fear that i have is election fraud is real mm -hmm. it happens we're going to talk about that in detail and what the concerns are but here's my feeling is this risks becoming what the left does where they always make these false claims of racism, right? Anytime something happens, they don't like it's racism, 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 and it cheapens the charge. Do Republicans risk doing the same thing when they don't like the result or they don't like the outcome? It doesn't mean that election fraud doesn't happen, right. but are they overplaying their card uh, by doing it so often to where it becomes a throwaway line and nobody takes fraud serious anymore. Well, and that's my concern because I think you've got, you know, the, the, gov the gubernatorial and secretary of state candidate in Arizona who I think have been very vocal about their belief in 2020 election being stolen and their lack of uh, ability or willingness to concede absent what I think is an inevitable level of, you know, hey, there's going to be some data points there that seem weird, right. right? Does that mean the election is stolen? Who knows? But the point is that they seem to be ready to die on that hill. You've got the person that's the nominee for Secretary of State in Michigan, who is somebody, she's a community uh, community college instructor from Detroit, who has previously said that she saw fraud as a 2020 election observer. So, I mean, she's going to be running for office. She doesn't seem to be the kind of person to be like, no, everything looks good to me. And then you got the GOP candidate for governor in Pennsylvania, by the way, uh, who was one of the ones that wanted to throw out Joe Biden's alleged win right, right. in 2020. So, I mean, imagine... If you have, you know, we saw what happened with Trump, but imagine you have somebody like Trump uh, doing things in many different states. Right. And then, you know, what does that look like? Because we are at the end of the day, a democracy, right? We do handle transitions of power peacefully. So I think it's I think we're right to be concerned about that. All that to say um, why I'm concerned is because, yeah, that we we still don't have it together. We have yeah. lots of problems. So let's unpack. Yeah. that. OK, the, the point that we're making here is that that there are some people that are going to make claims about voter fraud when it necessarily didn't happen. But there are real concerns out there. So lay them out sure. to us. Uh, you've got the issue of how uh, the issue of how uh, ballots are distributed, who hmm. pays for them being distributed, who pays employees. You've got an issue related to how votes are actually counted. Uh, absentee ballots when they are you know counted and when they are put together and you've got other unpack these a little bit what your concerns are what the real concerns are here. sure let's talk about like the three conditions that i think made the 2020 election uh, 
unprecedented and therefore worth scrutiny and skepticism. And a lot of those conditions, I think, will remain in place to a lesser degree in 2022. And that's why, to me, like 2022 is going to be nasty and messy, but you hope that it causes some people to get it together for 2024, right? Because I don't think we can handle, I mean, imagine right. if we had another 2024 situation that was like 2020. So uh, number one was this influx of money in which you had, you know, because of the pandemic, basically you cast more ballots than ever. And the manner in which is generally universally considered to be the least secure way in terms of mail-in balloting. Okay. And we had lots of private money in the name of protecting global health that essentially laundered political operatives through the mechanism of government election administration. Now, what do you mean exactly when you say that? So Mark Zuckerberg's name comes up. What do you mean in terms of how that money was dispersed? Sure. I prefer just to use a lot of syllables and not have a lot of specifics. But if you're <laughs> going to ask me a follow-up question, what, what, what it means is that- I'm so demanding. You are I'm so sorry. demanding. So, so let's take a look at the state like Wisconsin, right? So right. Mark Zuckerberg, he's got this, this CTCL, Center for Technology and Civic Life. They gave hundreds of millions of dollars to different states. Um, I believe uh, the state of Pennsylvania got like- uh, $16.5 million from this place. And most of it went to Democratic-leaning counties. So, well, what's wrong with that? Because it's going to get out the vote efforts. In Wisconsin, same thing. They took you know millions of dollars and it essentially went to the counties that whose job it is to administer elections. Well, what, they, what it went for is things like get out the vote operations, right? It went for like like advertising and marketing. And hey, it's not just like, hey, here's when the elections are, vote if you want to. It's like, no, 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 no. We're going to do everything we can to essentially target, get out the vote efforts. Yeah. And so some Democrats would say, oh yeah, Republicans just don't want people to vote. And other people would say, no, no, no. It's a campaign's job to get right. the ballots and market to the voters. Right. It's not the government's job. And then when you target specific populations and the money in Wisconsin went to target uh, minority voters, historically underrepresented voters, which disproportionately tend to vote for Democrats, then it's obviously going to have an impact. And then when you have states that end up so close, right, like as, as Wisconsin did, as Pennsylvania did, and oh, by the way, you've got a lot of these uh, ballots coming in in less secure ways that don't have an ID requirement when you have absentee ballots. That's when I think people start to ask questions. And that's essentially what happened in 2020. So the concern on the money is it's being selectively spent. Yep. In other words, they're not going to the enti an entire county or an entire region of a state and saying, hey, everybody, please get out to vote. They're going to certain communities or they're going to certain zip codes, which tend to lean in one direction. Is that what the concern? Was? Well, that's a concern. But to be fair, right? I mean, the money was eligible to be uh, sought after, right? Or like applied for by anybody. Right. And so there were Republican counties that did get some of that money, but it also happens. So it's kind of one of those things where in California, right, when ballot harvesting first became legal, it's like technically anybody could have done it, but the Democrats did it. Right. And then so the Republicans say, all right, fine, we're going to do it. Right, <laughs> so, right, right, and, right. And so it kind of became like, is it, is it, is it fraud? Is it just sort of like smart politics? The point is, is that historically we've always believed in the sanctity of casting a ballot in a polling place absent any political um, pressure, right? It's always right. been a politically sterile environment. And that's right. not what happened in 2020. And right. we took money from Mark Zuckerberg and the government essentially encouraged that process. Right. So where does that stand? Right. Zuckerberg did this in 2020. Yeah. There have been some efforts to deal with that issue. Sure. Is it being dealt with? Is it, are they it, successful? It's happening it? at a state by state level. Um, in Florida, you know, Florida has been a leader saying, no, we're absolutely not taking what they call Zuck bucks. Pennsylvania just passed a bill that said, we're not going to take any private money as well. In return, we're going to have $45 million. They can go to the counties to try to help make, you know, 
bridge some of those gaps. But it's funny because, and I think that sort of underscores the larger issue when you have this influx, like did absentee balloting, did mail-in balloting become the new norm by which people cast ballots? And if it did, you know, that presents an issue of concern. Pennsylvania particularly is really interesting because they have a law and they try to change this by saying, here, here's $45 million. Would you please consider letting yourself open up these mail-in ballots before election day? And they said, no. <laughs> In fact, we're going to say we're only going to open them starting 7 a.m. on election day. And then we're going to make sure we only open the ballots. We, we continue to open them without cessation. Like that's like what they thought the really clever plan is. Because, you know, then it's like, so we're not going to like stop at 2 a.m. Then here comes a new right. truck. Like we're right. going to keep doing all along. So what that means is people are going to open ballots for like 100 hours. Yeah. So, I mean, it, but, but the question is, I guess, so we've talked about the outside money. That's a problem. Now we're shifting to this part of actually how voting is going to be done, how it's going to be counted. And this issue of, you know, Florida in 2000 was the national laughingstock right. with all the hanging chads, the people putting up to the Florida's really corrected that. Now you've got places like Pennsylvania that become a laughing stock, and you just alluded to the fact that they have this law that they're not allowed to actually get any absentee ballots or you know early voting. They're not supposed to count them into the mo- why? What could the possible rationale be yep. for saying we're not going to count any of those ballots cast early? I mean, it gets back to the whole it's the decentralized and anachronistic nature of our election laws. Like Pennsylvania thinks they're great because they don't settle things with a card game, right? Like New Mexico does. They're like, oh, well, these are not like those rubes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and right. so, uh, yeah, it's a great question. I'm sure at some point it came down to, well, it's a security issue. We don't want to have open ballots here. And I mean, because you do have, I mean, it's from a logistics standpoint, it's it's quite the task, right? To have all these things and like know which ones you've counted. And, um, you know, there's scanning technology, but essentially these things are run largely by volunteers. Right. Right. And the thing breaks. I mean, literally, there's a story in my book about uh, an election machine broke in Miami, like during early voting, and the person's like, "Okay, let's unplug it, and we're gonna like move them around. <laughs> like, like that's our solution. <laughs> like turn it off. Did it work? Turn it off and turn it back on. <laughs> and that's how we conduct. It's kind of a miracle that we. <laughs> so, so, and that's the thing. It's like so. It's always been that way. Or there's always right. been these problems. And now, when you have people that have claimed at unprecedented levels of election irregularity and possible fraud. Uh, like there's always going to be evidence to support the idea that things weren't run tip top. Right. But we've always just relied on the fact that, well, the margins aren't that close. So how big of a difference did it make? Well, and that could be, you raise a really important point here. One of the problems could be is we have become such an evenly divided country. I mean, if you know, if you're Ronald Reagan running against Walter Mondale in 1984 and you're winning pretty much all 50 states. Yeah. If there are irregularities, people are not going to concern yourself. You look at the the 2020 election. I mean, I know there's the question of the popular vote, but the electoral college where it matters, I think some estimates are 28,000, 30,000 votes. So maybe part of the problem is the elections have become so close and the cultural divide in the country so great. The difference between a Biden and Trump and pre- as president is is really large. That is ramping up the concerns about how these votes are actually being processed, cast, and all these kind of fraudulent issues that get raised. So I think that's one of the elements to it, but I think there's another one too. And okay. I think there's actually an interesting parallel with what we've talked about as far as what's happening in local schools. So historically, school board meetings like yawn fests, yeah, right? Smooth, yeah. Dude, nobody's going, nobody pays attention. They play that cheesy jazz music on elevators during the the county broadcast of it, right, right? right? Every once in a while, maybe somebody, you get a declaration, oh, we're going to name a school after, you know, my neighbor Frank or whatever it is. And right. so it's a good deal. But now, like then when COVID happened and there was this fight, our school's going to be open. And then once people started paying attention to what's happening in the school meetings, they're like, wait, and you're teaching what? Excuse right. me, right? right? Don't right. say what? You're right. trying to groom what? 
And so once people like realized what was happening in the schools and what the stakes were, yeah. now people are engaged and they're upset about it. And right. by the way, for the for their part, the schools aren't necessarily like in love with that new level of engagement and supervision, right? Right. right. So I think what happened is because of 2020, people are now are waking up to wait. We have how many errors on voter right. rolls? Right. Right. You, you, Really, you don't need an so idea to cast this ballot. Your point is greater awareness. I think it's the greater awareness. And so with the greater awareness, it's like, so there's a real problem. And now if, I have, if I'm on the end of an election result I don't like, right. then I have more legitimate evidence to cite as a reason to not accept that result. And that's where it becomes a real problem. Because like in Pennsylvania, they just had their primary back in May. You've got three of the municipalities that are refusing to certify the election. Be- on what grounds? Because of the fact that there's this dispa- dispute over some, a lot of the ballots or some of the ballots were cast without a date, right? Okay. Uh, and so they're like, well, the, our law says we're not supposed to accept these ballots right. without a date. Right. And other people are like, no, we've got this court ruling that says we should count them. And oh, by the way, like, what are we going to do? Right. We're not going to make that big of a difference. Come on, bro. Just open the ballot, you know? Right. right. <laughs> and like, no, 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 this is what the law says. And so it's gone to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court's now even said, well, I know what your law says, but we, you really should just accept the ballots. And so- you know, what kind of a precedent does that make? So there's lawyers involved, there's all kinds of confusing court rulings. But when the mechanisms of power that we've relied on to certify elections now start to question it, right? That's when it becomes potentially incredibly problematic. And so really, I mean, the only solution is to dramatically improve our level of confidence in the elections. And that's going to require a complete overhaul. And I just sort of reference one story Mm -hmm. from Texas, just I mean, we in the book in 2018, one of the things we did is we looked at voter rolls and we talked about there's like 12 million errors, uh, like one in eight voter registrations in this country are wrong. Oh man, Like they're wrong. And the Supreme Court has cited, that's a, that comes from a Supreme Court ruling that cited a Pew Center study. So that's not like, you know, some crackpot in his basement. <laughs> <laughs> like it's a real thing. You don't, you don't have a basement, do you? <laughs> no, I think it's out of my private life, Peter. But uh, so, so we know there's all kinds of, of issues there. And you know, the guy that was the head of um, uh, Obama's Justice Department in terms of like in, in charge of elections, this guy named Tom Perez, and he's the head of the DNC, like his whole gig is trying to make it possible for immigrants to be able to vote, right? right? And so right. then you say, well, wait, we know we've got this documented plan for Democrats that want immigrants to vote, and you're regularly weakening the mechanisms that would make sure only citizens are voting, and we're giving IDs out to legal immigrants. Like, I mean, you know, there's enough stuff there to say, wait a minute, I think there's clearly a, a plot and a, an effort to expand the voting pool, right? Right. right. Uh, and then you've got these problems that make it, you know, anytime you have voter roll errors, it makes it much easier for an illegal voter to cast what will eventually become a legal vote. And so there's this one county in Texas, just it's kind of fun. Uh, it's a pretty isolated county. It's Loving County. It's like the least populated county in the country. All right. Okay. How many uh, people live in this county? You, according to U.S. Census Bureau, only 57 people live there. So, you know, <laughs> pretty, I mean, it's Texas, <laughs> right, right? Right. Guess how many people registered to vote in a county that only 57 people live in, according to the census? How many? 97. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of people put their dogs on the voting and, rolls, and, right? well, check. And then there's one house where one of the county commissioners is registered to vote along with 10 other people. <laughs> And the sheriff is like, no, he didn't live there. <laughs> the sheriff's like, in fact, no one lives it. there. I love it. The, and, I love and, it. And, but here's why it matters, right? Yeah. Because um, you know the salaries for the top elected officials are in these six figures. The annual budget for this county is $28 million. And one of the, I think the county commissioner, right, who is registered to vote at a place he doesn't live in, along with 10 other people, um, has a company, I guess it's a trucking company, 
And they've earned like $5 million from county contracts, right? Over the last however long. So let's just- I'm just trying to figure out how a county with 57 people has a $28 million a year budget. Yeah. I mean, this gets back to, well, it's because it's Texas and oil money. <laughs> okay. You know, so pro- makes right, sense. So yep, yep. I know oil is yeah. a touchy subject for you. <laughs> <laughs> Are you talking about my failed history as an investor in oil? Never oil invested oil in a Mississippi thing in, in Mississippi. That's what, <laughs> That was your mistake. <laughs> There's an M, there's an S, there's an I, there's no oil in Mississippi, as Peter Schweitzer knows quite well. So, but yeah, so I mean, there's all kinds of problems with the voter rolls. And so anybody that wants to look for problems will find it. Right. And you've now got to think, on, I mean, rightly or wrongly, because I think there are like lots of reasons to be very concerned about things that happened in 2020. But it's this tough, like there's always this tension between uh, security and elections and access, right? Like right. you don't want illegal voters to vote. But you don't want to keep illegal voters from voting, right? Because we are a democracy. So same right. thing. Like you want to make sure the election was accurate, right? But you don't want to undermine, like, so raise concerns, raise issues, right? right. But you don't want to undermine confidence in the election process to the extent that what now you have literal fires of democracy in every corner of the country, sure. And you've got absolutely no confidence, and what that could lead to is in in twenty twenty four, if we have more contested states. I mean, you've already you know look at what's already happened now and. Look at the reaction with people with the the rate of Donald Trump's residency and people are threatening some level of violence or civil uprising um, because they saw civil uprisings in 2020 and those seem to be okay. So how can we can have civil uprisings now? Right, right. And so I just think um, I think we're in for uh, a touchy time in November. And my hope is that that leads to a hard and honest conversation about what it looks like to actually clean up voter rolls, enforce voter ID, have some uniform requirements because it is, I mean, you talk about like how folksy in New Mexico, they're settling things in with a card game. If it's tied in Minnesota, if you don't have an ID, you can have somebody what's called vouch for you, which is like, yeah, I know him. (laughs) (laughs) He's allowed to vote. And in nursing homes, like the, the res, the RAs can vouch for as many of these old folks as you want. I mean, imagine how problematic that is. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a huge problem. And that brings us to the issue, I think, on when it comes to voter rolls, it, it relates to the whole issue of, uh, you know, the trade, uh, the uh, raid on Mar-a-Lago right. and the other issues is it's the equal application of the law. The fact that you have these different standards, these different approaches, you can do ballot harvesting one place, you can, you know, have photo IDs required another place, the different standards and the fact that it seems to favor one partisan side over the other. It's the same issue, I think, as it relates to the to the Trump raid in Mar-a-Lago is are they treating the issue of Trump and those classified documents the same way they treated them with General Petraeus and Hillary Clinton? And the answer seems to be obviously no. Uh, It's the same thing here with voter rolls. So the question is, Eric, what is the solution? I am, as you know, always skeptical of fixing a problem by centralizing power. Mm -hmm. Some people would say, well, we just have to have a consistent standard. We need to have national elections. We can't have these yahoos in Pennsylvania or New Mexico or Florida making these decisions. We need to nationalize it. I look at that and say that would be rampant for abuse because if you can control that one agency, fraud becomes an issue. I'd rather have diffuse power. But what are some of the solutions that you think would be simple and clear cut and help fix some of these problems? Yeah, I think diffuse uh, power is actually why we think it's harder to steal a national election, right? Because you have to execute it conceptually in so many different places. But as you noted, if we're talking about a national election, gets swung by 30,000 votes in four states and you've got private nonprofit money from a guy that's highly partisan and he's influencing the mechanisms of elections in those states. And is it possible to do it? Maybe, right? Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. yeah. And and by the way, I'm not saying it was stolen illegally. I think that it quite possibly was stolen legally and that's not necessarily any better. All that to say, um, I think having a national standard in terms of like what we require, whether it's voter ID, 
whether it's, hey, we're going to get, we're going to like regularly audit these voter rolls, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I think those would be two simple, clean steps. Yeah. Um, uniform standards for how we handle mail in ballots, you know, eliminating the third party collection and delivery of ballots, AKA ballot harvesting, right? I mean, I right. think there's got to be, and that's hard because like, oh, you're trying to keep homeless people, elderly, disadvantaged people from voting. Voting is a right, but it's also a privilege. And, you know, so there's got to be a, a way to sort of thread the needle on the access versus security. And I think, but we yeah. don't even have that conversation nationally. Yeah. Yeah. But and you're absolutely right. As far as like, you wouldn't want it to be concentrated federally because if it's concentrated federally, how much confidence in the Joe Biden administration, right? You got the Joe Biden secretary right. of state like, nope, yeah. it's Uncle Joe again. Yeah. Buy a nose. Yeah. It's like people, <laughs> people have more trust, I think, with their local sheriff than they do with an agency like the FBI because they feel like it can be influenced more by Washington, D.C., your county sheriff is something very, very different. So there's a lot of corrupt county sheriffs out there. You know that, right? (laughs) Oh, absolutely. But I tell you, I'd rather have a corrupt county sheriff that you can kind of deal with. You can move if you need to. than if you have a corrupt, corrupt FBI, because then they've, they've got the entire country. Just for the record, Peter Schwartz likes corrupt sheriffs because they're easier to deal with (laughs) and move. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. Just move to the next county. Well, I agree with you. I think the solution is you, you should have some national standards. We have the voting rights act in 1964 that created some national standards. Mm -hmm. I think we can have national standards like photo ID, but we want to have the votes continue to be counted by local volunteers at the local level. I think that is the uh, the best solution. So this is a sub- subject we're going to come back to. I encourage people to pick up a copy of your book, uh, Eric Egger's book called Fraud. My agent would also encourage them to pick up a copy of my book, I bet as would my mortgage. Yeah, I bet so. he would. I bet he would. Uh, but it's a terrific book. It was written in 2018, but you're going to find a lot of stuff in there that actually predicted what happened in 2020 and I would say is going to predict what's happening in 2022. This is an issue we're going to return to, uh, unfortunately, often, I think, between now and Election Day and after. So I want to thank you, Eric, uh, for writing the book, for your expertise on this subject. And I want to thank the audience for listening to another episode of The Drill Down. You can find articles and the podcast itself at thedrilldown.com. Thanks for joining us. 